There, one of the jokes we make is the, the speed of light is the uh, the universal speed limit, uh, but the uh, the speed of space robotics is the universal constant of slowness. Hello, fellow spacers. Welcome to Space Roots. Today on the show we have Liam. Welcome to the show. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, so you wanna you wanna tell us uh, what you're working on, kind of projects going on oh well where to begin so i'm a computer science student actually at uh, virginia tech but i work for the college of uh, mechanical engineering school so i work in fundamental research for in space assembly robotics so this would be manipulation and assembly tasks that would be conducted on orbit or on extraplanetary surfaces so this would be along the lines of building habitats or backbone structures. And a lot of my work in particular is the autonomy required to get these robots to function independently to produce these objects. Okay, cool. So you, you build the robots that build other structures and stuff in space, on, on planets, etc. Precisely. And so do you work on, so you're saying, do you work just solely on the software or do you also work on the hardware, a bit both? I do a little bit of everything. I, um, I believe that good robotics lies at the perfect intersection between mechanical engineering, computer science, and electrical engineering, and mm. that a lack of knowledge in any of the disciplines leads one to not be a more effective roboticist. That said, having teammates who are capable in these domains really helps you out. So I do dabble in electrical engineering and mechanical, but most of my focus is in the controls for the robots. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, no. So you're essentially a full cycle robotics engineer, more or less. When I need to be, I prefer to rely on the more uh, capable, mm-hmm expertise of my teammates for certain tasks. Okay, cool, cool. So, um, we know I noticed that you uh, do a DIY type of approach to things and I think that's great. Uh, we actually approach the same way. It's easy to go out and buy a commercial robot and try to use it for research, but giving a hands-on uh, DIY approach to building everything from scratch really gives insight into what problems you may face with this kind of technology, because when you buy something commercial, it's not going to be exactly what you need. It's what appeals to the lowest common denominator. Hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. And a similar thing from uh, from Applied Ion uh, that we talked to yesterday, uh, well, last episode for those of you listening, um, where he built his whole vacuum testing chamber from scratch, completely DIY. I don't know if you've checked out any of his work, um, but yeah, similar things. Where yeah, you, you know, you could you could easily drop, you know, thousands of dollars in a pre-made system that's not going to fit your specifications, and you know, if it breaks down, you probably aren't going to easily fix it. But if you do it yourself, you know, you you probably save you save time, you save parts. Um, and I'm it, a huge advocate for doing it myself. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Pretty much everything in my uh, in my home is some form of DIY or cobbled together. I wanted to learn about it, so I did it. That that's kind amazing. Of thing. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, what's your craziest thing you've got that's DIY? 
Oh, gosh. All right, let's take a look around. I've got a uh, giant server rack in the closet I built together out of uh, eBay and Craigslist scraps that I used to teach myself enterprise networking. Set up 10 gigabit fiber links to all of my workstations, thin clients, and they run all the 3D printers. And which, by the way, for you, those of you listening, he has uh, 3D printers in the background for um, printing masks for COVID, right, I believe? Yeah, right now. Um, generally, these are these are large format printers, and I use them for producing parts for robots. Nice. Okay. So each of, each of these stands about four feet tall. So there's quite a few of them four, sitting around the corner. Four feet tall? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that is that is some serious equipment. Dang. <laughs> yeah, if I were to if I were to go for full volumetric efficiency, I could fit ninety six face shields in one printer in one go. Ninety wow. Ninety six so are you giving them to local hospitals or like Yes. Uh, so part of this was that the, the, the campus shut down, all the labs I'm involved with shut down, and I decided that uh, the equipment shouldn't go to waste. So I was able to secure the use of all the 3D printers I could get my hands on to do this work. So we've been donating them to the local hospitals, to dental clinics, emergency responders, anyone who needs them, it's free to ask us. That is really good. Yeah, yeah, no, that's... That that is so encouraging, being able to help out and uh, help out like that, because that's yeah. It was an excellent rapid design challenge. We we uh, well the way I started this was I went online and looked up face shields. I printed every single face shield I could find, and then we took them to hospitals and said, "Does this work? Is this what you need?" And then we received feedback, and then iterated the design a couple more times until we had something that uh, people liked. That oh, that is so good. What what do you use for the clear part? Uh, we use laser cut pet plastic. So in my lab, we have a massive laser cutter, and I've been able to cut stacks of plastic at once. Wow! So I can churn out thousands of these things in a day. That that is so great that you can, you know, still keep using a machine so they don't rust, idle idle away doing nothing instead. That that good thinking on your part. <laughs> um. So, so getting back to space robots, um, what what's kind of like your design that you're going for right now? What, like, what, what do you... So I've worked on a couple things. So the, there's a couple different types of robots that you want to consider when operating in space. You want, you want your long-range manipulators, and then you want your more precision manipulators. So if you're thinking about a long-range manipulator, this is the kind of thing that was on the back of the space shuttle. So the, uh, the Canadarm, that's a long-range manipulator. These types of robots in space don't actually have to lift their their own weight in Earth gravity because they are supported, mm -hmm. in a sense, by their, their their musculature. But these things are expensive. They're, all these space robots thus far are supremely expensive, especially serial arms, um, due to the, the capabilities. Of, if you're using a serial arm, you have to move the weight of every motor that is farther up the arm with the ones closer to the base. So there's a design problem there. So one of the robots we're working with was developed at uh, NASA Langley Research Center. It's called the LSMS. Um, and um, it is a tendon actuated manipulator robot. Okay. And the purpose behind that is it's very, very lightweight and you can operate this on the surface. And there are 
ones that operate on the surface. You can see them online, Langley. And we want, we're trying to use this in concert with other robots. So the idea here is to use robots as a, a team, get robots to work together. Because if you try to engineer a single robot to do a complex task, you're going to end up with a wildly complex robot. Right. But if you engineer a number of smaller, simpler robots, right. and you're able to arrange them in a complex fashion, you can still complete that more complex task. And, and it's going to be more adaptable too, right? Because it's, Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you want modular robots that can be reconfigured to use in a variety of situations. And also redundancy so, too, you know? Yes, to a degree. So back, back to long range and, um, and precision manipulators, you are able to essentially counteract the weaknesses of each other by moving around these smaller, more compact precision manipulators in a workspace with the long range ones and getting them to do all the, the fine gearing and attachment to materials and struts. Okay. So what we're using for these are Stuart platforms, actually. Stuart platforms? Yeah, a Stuart platform is, think of it as the <laughs> inverse of a serial arm. Okay. So with a, with a serial arm, you have a set of uh, joints linked to each other with a usually rotary motors. With a Stuart platform, you still retain that six degrees of freedom, but you are actually using a set of six linear actuators joining two platforms. So the workspace is small, but the robot is very precise and very strong. Okay. So it's able to perform complex tasks such as uh, jigging or moving around materials in orbit. So the reason you would need this precision is if you're doing a very repetitive task, like building a truss, for example. The International Space Station rests on a very large backbone truss. So we're trying to use robots to, for example, build one of these large trusses okay. on orbit. All right. And for that, you would need incredible precision not only in the robots, but in your sensing capabilities, so you can detect error and correct it along the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of systems working together to to get that all working. Yeah. It's impressive. So how far away do you think you are to, like, actually putting these in use in, like, the ISS or maybe the moon? Like, how far away do you think you are? It's hard to say exactly. Um, my laboratory and the work that I have done previously has always been uh, low on what is the, called the TRL or technical readiness level scale. Okay. What this encompasses is fundamental research and demonstrations. So it's more like uh, seeing um, like if the concept itself is viable and if so, a more practical working out of that idea. Is that, is that kind of what you're going for? Yes. So the end result of what we would put forward as research would be something called path to flight, not necessarily a flight object, but okay. something that we can prove works on the ground okay. and we can publish on that. Okay. Okay. We so don't do the final engineering of a space flight article. I've never worked on something uh, like okay. that. Okay. All right. So, you're you're making you're doing like the preliminary just exploring this as a concept 
and you know someone later down on the road when they're like hey you know we could really use this cool thing then they go to your paper your publication or whatever I'm like okay so this is the stuff that they learned you know sort of okay. so a lot of it is is supporting uh, grander research efforts so for example we're presented a problem and like i said before we're very very hands-on into into doi because of those capabilities we're able to rapidly execute the development of a, a problem like that. Okay. We're given a problem, we can put out prototypes on a scale of months versus what it takes decades to build large spacecraft. Right, and, and it's all about the, the tight feedback loop and rapid iteration, right? That gives you a whole lot yeah. more, a whole, whole exactly. better results. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. What, so the problem that we're shooting to eliminate right here is a purely volumetric one. When you launch something, you are constrained to the volume of your launch capsule. Mm -hmm. So, not the launch, but the, the payload fairing of a rocket. So, there are problems in this. For example, trusses. ISS runs on trusses. It's built on a truss. A truss is probably the most volumetrically inefficient thing that you can launch. Huh. And there are only a couple ways that you can mitigate this problem. And those are building a deployable truss, which introduces mechanical complexity or building a human assembled truss like we had for the ISS in, well, in segments, which requires people mm. which are expensive to put into orbit. Okay. And, or just shipping the whole thing up in one piece, which is you know, a lot of empty space in the truss. The way we intend to solve this is by shipping up the pieces, and that way we can build a larger, more complex structure in orbit without any worry of payload fairings. And then all that hardware is persistent. It can be used again. Right, yeah, it's, it's retooled. Yes, that's really, that's impressive. So like, what, like a, what market can you say, you know what, we've gone as far as we can with this stage right now. Um, you know, let's, you know, move on to a different project or, you know, we've accomplished this. Like what, what, what are the there metrics? There are definitely, there are definitely projects that we have shelved, and there are definitely uh, there's a number of them that are still in active development. But the the point that um, unfortunately in academia, the point where you say we're done with this project is when we can't get funding to work on that project anymore. <laughs> uh, so you're being you're being funded by NASA. Uh, there there are we have a number of funding opportunities that we're pursuing right now, but a lot of it is internal currently. Okay. All right, yeah, that's that is yeah, that's that's really cool. Are you are you so like is there the option and have you considered like, um, going the path of of the startup like taking this idea and try to like piggyback off of maybe maybe not now but maybe in like a couple of years when it becomes more realistic like have you is that, is that something that's like you thought of or you can you not do that because of like NDAs? I have my own startup ideas but those are not related to my research um <laughs> uh, my research is uh purely academic in okay. nature okay and i really prefer it that way because in academia we're not really so worried about we need to impress the stockholders it's right. more more than investors does this yeah. does this work i mean there are investors there are people funding the research and there are people who would like to see results from us and we are focused and motivated to produce those results. Mm -hmm. That's how we perpetuate our funding. 
Right. Right, but it's not as driven. I would say that we we have demonstrated some of the technologies that we are excited about. So, for example, building trusses, we have demonstrated that. Detection of error in trusses, we have demonstrated that as well. So you're you're mainly focused around the whole truss, like making trusses, which is the skeleton of the ISS, but assuming probably other space stations in the future. Um, The the truss itself as a concept is the fundamental building block of a large space structure. All right, and so then these robots you're building are going to make you so that you can make the trusses more compact and more parts, and then the robots will come and they'll, like, stitch it together? Is that kind of like what you're... I'm just trying to... Think like a, a space erector set. Okay. Or something like that. The, the, one of the challenges faced is the future of uh, space-based telescopes. Mm. Think about the J- James Webb Space Telescope is pushing the bounds of human engineering and capability to fit inside its payload fairing. That's the constraint. Right. That's why we couldn't build a bigger one is because it has to fit in the rocket. Right. Right. So, so if, if you could... If, is, sorry, I didn't keep interrupting. I just, I, just, I want to understand this because this is a really cool concept. So... Um, like, say you had a big telescope that had, like, two parts. So you'd, you'd blast one part up there, right, in one payload, and you do another one in the other payload, and then somewhere along the way in one of those payloads, you have a, one of your robots or a couple of your robots, and then they would, like, do the hard work of putting the... of assembling it? Yeah. Um, think about... This. So there's a project, you can look this up, it's called ISAT. as the In-Space Assembled Telescope Project, if I remember the acronym. ISAT? ISAT. Okay. I-S-A-T. And this is a idea to essentially build a massive telescope, piece by piece, with a segmented mirror in orbit. And this would be a, a possible successor to the, um, to the James Webb. And this is the kind of technology that we're working to enable. All right. Sorry about my keystrokes. Uh, ISAT telescope. All right. So... Oh, ins- okay. That would be so... I- oh my goodness, I want this to be a thing. <laughs> this is incredible. Wow, okay. So, um, so yeah, something like that is what you're, you're, you guys are trying to go for. Something like that. That's one of many different applications that this technology could enable. Okay, alright. Wow, that is, that is absolutely incredible. I'm so glad you're you're working on this. <laughs> uh, um, so you said you had startup ideas. All right, do you have any you're willing to share? <laughs> um, it's just my free time. I'm working on a lot of 3D printed stuff, and uh, honestly, after spending so much time with 3D printers printing all these COVID things and such a wide variety of printers, I have noticed, I would say, considerable flaws in design that I think could be improved. If oh, I really? To build uh, some improved versions, hopefully. Really? Huh. That, yeah, that, yeah, that would be really cool. Are you thinking, like, 3D printers and, uh, like, different material 3D printers, or just, like, PLA plastic 3D printers, but the, better engineered? Just standard, standard quality printers, but I would say smarter. Smarter? Yes. Smarter and safer. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That would... My focus again is in autonomy, so 
make printers that can think for themselves. <laughs> uh, so what what do you program like the the, the robots in? I'm just curious, like what language do you, are you? Is it like C? Do you use? Depends on the application. C is a popular language. Um, I use Python a lot for Ooh. algorithm development. Okay. Uh, so all of my um, my path planning code right now is in Python. A okay. lot of my patrol code is in Python. And um, um, so I, I Arduino assume... obviously used a whole ton in prototyping, so we have hundreds of these things littered around <laughs> the web. Uh, and so, um, what was the question I was going to ask? Oh, um, gosh, it's up in my tongue. Um, so the... Uh, Oh yeah, that's right. So do you, I take it you use like uh, machine learning for like image recognition and um, like some of the other like diagnostics. We do have we do have some lab members who are working with uh, machine vision and machine learning to classify error. Okay, wow. It's like error in the robot or like on the on whatever you're working on. Well, consider that there is a, a delay when operating with spacecraft. Mm -hmm. It's the speed of light. So anything that is performing a fine assembly test needs to be able to determine its own error. So mm. this would be the error of assembly. Does this joint look right? Is this correctly fastened? These are questions that the robot needs to be able to ask itself and then answer. Okay, so you're, you're essentially put, uh, programming a bit of a um, self-doubt complex into a robot. That, that's, that sounds healthy. <laughs> You know, self-doubt in uh, in space is a healthy thing. <laughs> there, one of the jokes we make is the, the, the speed of light is the uh, the universal speed limit, uh, but the uh, the speed of space robotics is the universal constant of slowness. <laughs> yes, yes, that is that is true. I, I'm just I'm, now I'm imagining um, Skynet with with a with a. Um, self-doubt complex built into it hmm you know what I, I don't know if i should have nuked all those people i'm really down with my i'm pretty sure that was the plot of terminator 3 uh, oh was it huh um, I, I, i've only i only saw i think i i, I stopped watching after two and then I saw the... That was probably a good decision. Yeah, then I saw, like, the latest one, because I was really hoping they revived the franchise. No. And, no. It, I, I couldn't I couldn't walk, finish watching it. It was just... It was... It was... It was it was a nuclear dumpster fire. <laughs> oh. That's on brand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. But anyway, yeah, for example, I did an assembly demonstration a couple uh, years back while I was interning. And that's... Just getting the robot to build one section of a truss was multiple hours. That's the mm. speed that you would expect to get something to work. But there is an advantage still in that speed, in that the robots can work 24 hours a day forever. Right. Right, because they don't but, have to be relying on people and crews to control their every little move. So if you, if you have a robot that takes, say... Eight hours to build something that a human could build in an hour, but you leave the robot up there for a year versus a couple two week flights. That's you're saving a tremendous amount of money and oh, yeah. time. For sure, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So when when you get this done, are you um, 
is it are you like putting it all online is it going to be all open source kind of like what applied is doing or are you going to uh put it just release your findings in like a few papers uh papers are generally the way to go in academia mm -hmm. and especially it depends on the research and who's who's behind it and things like that there are always there are always uh, limitations mm -hmm. on what, what what goes where fundamental research though generally is publishable okay i would say and so like what i guess you might have you know, talked about this before but what specifically are you researching are you researching like their plausibility of space robots are you researching me, like me specifically or the lab is a better question I, let's let's say the lab right or or is it um like how would these well, look like like what, what specifically is that like that research my laboratory on. focuses on collaborative robotics. My, that's my laboratory. So we focus on collaborative robotics. That sounds like a post... That sounds super post-singularity. Just gotta say. <laughs> okay, alright. Well, I mean, it's... it's, it's it, like, the lab itself is called Phaser. It's the Field and Space uh, Experimental Robotics Laboratory. And we're, we basically are looking at collaborative robotics, assembly, metrology, and just like various parts of autonomy for space robots, because we, we think that autonomy really is the way to go. For example, Canadarm is teleoperated from the ground. Really? And the only reason it was able to, it's able to do that is because it's in low Earth orbit. Anything beyond low Earth orbit, and then you have non-negligible like, non delay. Hmm. So everything that we're going to need to be doing, gateway, for instance, is going to have to require um, a degree of autonomy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and all the all the stuff on the moon, and yeah, yeah. That, that's so you're in that case. You're you're exploring more from the, like the the software end of things, right? Because I mean, that's that's, that's my job. Okay, I I do software, so. A lot of my work is based on trying to optimize robots, optimize uh, their kinematics, optimize path planning, figure out how to do these kinds of steps. How do we attach this to this? Get the robot to generate those motions or move around its workspace intelligently. That's more okay. my, my domain. Okay. All right. Well, what do you have any like uh, like pinnacle moments? You know, like uh, like credible successes or like any any parts you're really excited about or is this all kind of a slow plodding along we had uh, i mean in terms of pinnacle successes there have been papers published and you can probably go look up phaser and see the papers uh these are all anything that ends up being published i would call a pinnacle success okay oh, wait, wait, so most of my happiest moments are when i spend a few months working on something or a few weeks working on something and it suddenly starts working <laughs> like um, have you ever had something work first time like write up a whole long like uh, yes but that or... is not the norm that's not the norm <laughs> I, I remember there was uh, there was some method that i was writing for linear movement of this of this robot Linear movement seems easy, but the robot's geometry itself precluded it. Mm. So when it when I wrote up that method and it actually worked, I was ecstatic because <laughs> <laughs> oh. I wasn't expecting it to. I was ex I had my hand on the e stop button. I was ready to cancel it the second wait. it started moving wait, wrong. Wait, something's wrong. It's actually working. What do we do? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. 
<laughs> also, when uh, I was working on some optimizations for loads, so basically getting the robot to react to picking up something heavy versus picking up something soft. And when that started working, I was really, really happy. Oh, yeah. That's been a, that's been a focus of uh, part of my research recently as well. Wow, that sounds really cool. Uh, do, do you get, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you get out of the campus much, but you know, do you ever get a lot of misconceptions by, like, uh, friends, family, when you tell them what you do? Uh, the, the Skynet question comes up a lot. Wait, really? <laughs> wait, wait. No, we're we're going to be when I cause the robot apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the whole reason I got into this was that I was doing it as a hobby first. Oh, really? That's awesome. So I, I have uh, racks of robots in my apartment, stuff that I've been working on, just evil-looking creatures. Ooh. Hexapods and drones and... You should, things like you should that. send us some of the pictures so we can, if you're, if you're cool with it, and we can turn the, the YouTube clip because yeah. that's... Like, what, what are some of the coolest uh, robots that you built, DIY? Um, let's see. I've got a big hexapod, which is based on a modified Trosson Robotics droid. Wait, uh, hexapod? So is that like, it walks on six legs? Yeah, walks on six legs. It's Ooh. basically, it looks like a very large insect. Uh, ASCII and I, I'm sure you've talked to him in the past, we put a laser on it at one point. It was great fun. <laughs> uh, wow. I've, I've given it LiDAR. I've used it in a number of hackathons to do various things like uh, disaster searching. We had it, uh, I had it configured to search out people's faces and look for people in rubble and navigate oh. around a uh, difficult environment. Sounds so much fun. <laughs> so, over the years, I've just accumulated so much of this sensing equipment and things that I can generally prototype a new feature relatively quickly. Okay, I'll grab the connect from this bucket, I'll throw on this little robot vacuum cleaner LiDAR, and why don't I throw on a couple of these uh, inclination sensors? Why not? Let's see what happens. <laughs> you have like a dream lab right there. Oh. GPS. My living room is more lab than it is a living room. I think the only thing that classifies it as the living room is the presence of a couch. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, let's be honest. It's not like you're having anybody over. You aren't. You aren't going to be throwing any wild parties anytime soon. <laughs> That's probably accurate, but I think that comes with the territory of being an engineer more than anything else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like that meme. What is it? Where where someone where like a. Uh, a mugger mug mug someone is like um oh i forgot what it was yeah engineers don't have any life <laughs> oh, it's just like, like especially what you're working on i bet i bet times fly super fast i mean i don't know are, is i am one of the very lucky ones that enjoys what they do oh yeah i i really love my work and i love every moment when i even all the uh times i'm beating my head against the wall why does the code not work why does the code not work i'm still learning something exactly i'm learning that the code doesn't work and i'm <laughs> learning hopefully why through careful uh debugging yes yeah no and um wait so yeah yeah no i i yeah that that is that's so fascinating i remember oh it was years ago um watching the curiosity rover land like the, the live little i mean of course they can't show like it actually landing but you know like the whole oh, oh yeah. Land, yeah 
the, the space has always captivated me. I remember that and so many other launches I've watched on TV. Just I, I every time I've gone out to actually see a launch, it's been scrubbed. So I keep it up. But, it's been um, scrubbed. Yeah. Why? And anytime I've, it's just I'm cursed. So anytime I go out to a launch pad, there's bad weather or something. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I remember the most recent was when the the Falcon Heavy uh, oh, yeah. launched for the first time. We were all at work and we all just you know immediately went, oh, it's launching. Let's go to the conference room, turn on the TV, <laughs> watch it there. <laughs> yes, we. Yeah, so the, in the Janky server, we're gonna. I'm wanting to start a thing. Where we're gonna live stream the like the some of the big launches, and I think our first one we have on the schedule is it's going the SpaceX. Yes, launch coming up, right? First one in like demonstration mission. Well, no, not the no the one where they are actually putting the. Uh, like the yeah. astronauts to the in ISS. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's just so like frustrating and mind-boggling to me why we were still using was it twenty forty-year-old space capsules? Like the you know okay. So here's the thing about that the the Soyuz capsule is actually the most reliable spacecraft ever. Really? Okay. It um. So there's a reason that they have they've continued to use it. Is it it works? It does exactly what it it, it says it's going to do, and it does it well. <sighs> the space shuttle, by contrast, was this extremely expensive pipe dream. Oh yeah, it was it it had a useful capability, but it was nowhere near as uh, reliable or mm -hmm. usable as the uh, Soyuz. Sure, you could quote-unquote, reuse a space shuttle, but you had to go through and refit the whole thing. Right. Whereas you could probably just build a whole assembly line of Soyuz capsules and send them up one after another. Yeah, I, I saw somewhere, like, a price comparison chart. I think it was on Twitter. Um, and, which, if you guys haven't followed, you should totally follow us. Um, but, anyways, um, on, on Twitter, I saw this nice comparison of, like, the different costs. And, you know, you had... Uh, like the, the Mercury missions were like 2.8 billion, um, you know, Gemini, you know, something else. And then you had the space shuttle, like some ludicrous, like, I, 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 I'm probably wrong, but like 250 billion or something. 250 billion was the, the cost of the space shuttle program plus the development of the International Space Station, if I remember correctly. Like, that's just, I, I guess, I mean, I guess I could see the, the ISS being, being more expensive, but like, this, like still, that's just so expensive. And there's SpaceX at the, at the bottom. That was the whole point of the chart. There's SpaceX with like the the cheapest, uh, one of the, like the some of the two cheapest. I mean, um, reusability options. is key, like, and that's that's where you're getting this massive price decrease from is because they're able to finally reuse boosters, which um, nobody had managed to do before. <laughs> the closest people uh, I think to it were probably the Soviets. Um, in the mid '80s, mm. they had plans to do something similar, but when the the uh, Soviets fell apart, those plans also fell to the wayside. Uh, yeah, they uh, fell apart too, pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but um, yeah. So this 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 brings up a key point again: is reusability mm -hmm. is the key, and if you can develop these systems, like not only building? launch systems, but yeah. 
the space robotic systems that are reusable. Mm-hmm. Because, That's key. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, you're gonna have to be. I mean, for what you're working on, at least, it it saves so much money because you aren't having to like launch actual people, and then you have to have life support and have all the things that that in, entails and the risks. And, and you just throw a robot up there and let him chill for you know three hundred you know, sixty days. And, yeah. Think about there's a, there's a program out there called um, uh, OSAM. Uh, OSAM-1, which is the On-Orbit Servicing Assembly and Manufacturing Mission. It's a uh, spacecraft from Goddard, and its uh, mission is to go and service satellites. Oh, okay. So it's a satellite that just changes orbits and goes and tracks down disabled or broken satellites and brings them back to full functionality. It looks like a little egg. <laughs> the pictures I see. Um, okay, wow. All right, and then, yeah, hopefully that might even, well, reduce the space debris because that's a huge problem. Well, space debris is a is an entirely different issue. Right. The OSAM and missions like it would help to reduce the amount of space junk. Yes. But yes. The, the debris is a uh, a different issue to which there are solutions What's becoming available. One? I like the giant net. The giant net. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was thinking about that. I was like, why don't they just throw a giant net up there? It's like, oh, uh, yeah. It's more like a robotic catcher's mitt flying around. <laughs> the problem with these is that the space junk is moving at tens of thousands of miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You get hit by something like that, it's going to wreck any net as long as you're not being very careful with it. Right. Right. Yeah, like pea-sized objects going at thousands of miles an hour and you're going you know a couple yeah yeah it's not a, it's not a good combination i saw yeah, this... for example the international space station's uh, collision policy is dodge they will they move the entire space station in order to prevent collisions oh, because yeah. there's no amount of armor that's going to protect <laughs> oh, no. from a large enough space chunk. There isn't. There's a large enough armor. It's just really, really thick. <laughs> and for and for that reason, prohibitively expensive right. to launch in space. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. For sure. Well, do you have any? Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Any uh, like social media? I don't know. Are are your papers free for access, or are they? Yeah, they're free on archive and. Uh... Oh, 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 let me, let me actually look this up. So, um, on Archive, um, I, I, what's the... Oh, oh gosh, I'd have to look. I'd have to look. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can send me the link later. I'll, I'll send you links. Yeah. And I'll, 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 if you look up Phaser's website, there's a list of papers there, too. And it, how do you spell that? Is that with an... F-A-S-E-R. F-A-S-E-R. Okay. Phaser. And this is the lab headed by Dr. Eric Comandera. So... Oh, so, so you work professor. with CERN? No. Oh, okay. I was, I was Wrong phaser. <laughs> you know what? Send me the links. <laughs> I'll send you the links. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I got to say, you, you, you are definitely by far the humblest guest we've had on the show. I mean, like, okay, for, for, for reference... If I was if I was working on anything in space, like if I, you know space robotics, rocket science, you know people would know, right? I I get those like dorky dad joke shirts, you know, and be like, oh, have you been to space? It's a blast. You know, I, I go up to people at you know uh, dinner parties and whatever, and be the guy asks, so uh, 
what 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 do you do oh you're you're uh you're a life coach that, that's really hard i'm a rocket scientist you know like i'd i'd be do i'd be that guy and and meanwhile so when i was uh, talking to um liam over here you know i was just messaging him like hey you know i'm gonna be on this podcast blah 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 and like oh you know i i, I don't think i'd be good I, I i don't work on small sets and um i was like you know what that's that's cool i mean i'm sure you i mean there's there's plenty of awesome things in space um so I was like, hey, you know, what What else do you work on? And then he said, uh, what is it? Oh, I do robotics. I'm like, okay. Like this, I mean, this, at this point it's just, it's ice cream, but just which flavor of ice cream is it? And he's like, oh, no, I, I did. He, he showed a video of, uh, I wasn't one of the projects he was working on. And I'm like, this is insane. This is like the whole, this is the whole frozen yogurt refrigerator full of ice cream right here. <laughs> Yeah, that was the the assembly demonstrations I did uh, a couple so of years cool. ago. That was just and that so was cool. that was building a whole truss. So, <laughs> oh yeah, no, that was that was amazing. That was really cool. All right, and that was again working with uh, Dr. Commandera, who is who has been my lead on a lot of these. Mm. So, yes. definitely a plug for him. <laughs> Oh, that's that's what I love about this. It's just the ability to sit down and um, just talk to to people who are actually working on the on the on the actual developments and research. Because so often, um, you know, I I mean, I've I've done my fair share of like space research and diving down. You know, it's awesome, right? But very rarely do you actually talk to the people who are working on the stuff. I often find it, you know, oh, you know, like if you go to NASA, I bet all that stuff is, you know, run through like a media spokesperson and like someone does content. But this way you just, you get it raw, unfiltered. We have a media person. She's annoyed at me. <laughs> well, wait, wait, why? Why should she be annoyed at you? I don't know she just really is. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's right. A few more plugs before we leave. Um, first off, uh, we have we set up a Patreon, um, so uh, to help with um, you know supporting podcast, server, all that stuff. Um, well, hopefully it'll be up by the time I get this episode out. We shall see. Um, and also follow us on Twitter uh, for you know uh, updates on the podcast. Also, um, like will be other content coming soon. And then our YouTube channel as well. Um, to keep keep updated and keep informed. And um, uh, yes, I, I think I think that's I think that's, here. Let me check my notes. <laughs> this is this is still this is like you're the second guest here, so we're still trying to get in a nice little groove. Well, I hope I didn't disappoint too much. Oh no, you're great. Anyways, later, spacers.